As a mental health advocate and author, I love books. Books have the capacity to inspire, educate, transform, and ultimately help readers all over the world. So if you want to publish your book or if you need help writing your story, I highly recommend Mindstir Media, rated the number one best book publisher around the country. Mindstir Media can help you no matter where you are in the book writing or publishing process. Go to mindstermedia.com to learn more and schedule a consultation. Out Comes the Sun with Mariel Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi. Out Comes the Sun compassionately helps you navigate mental wellness practices that you can apply to your daily life. And we tell your story. And now, Mariel Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi. and welcome to Outcomes of Sun Radio. We are, we're having a great show today. We have a really great guest, but first mm-hmm. we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about writing today. We're going to talk writing and critical thinking because it's a, it's a conversation, as you know, that Melissa and I probably had while we were walking in the morning. And oh, yeah. um, it's such an important concept. I mean, it's not a concept. It's actually, it's, it, but nobody knows how to do it. That's what's crazy. Like when I think of kids nowadays, I say kids, I think of a generation that have come out of high school. And for the most part, most of them are not taught critical thinking. So That's it's right. kind of what you were saying to me about your son, you know, and, and, and your mother, your mother, oh, yeah. you know, she used to teach school and she used to teach writing. My mom was probably, without doubt, one of the best teachers I ever had. And she gave us a lesson in understanding critical thinking and how to play devil's advocate on your thought processes to enrich and strengthen your own thoughts. And one thing that she had us do, an exercise, and I shared it with you, I'd love to share it with our audience. One year, I remember she had us, without bias, pick a political figure um, this is junior junior grade, uh, your, your junior level of high school. So yeah. she had us pick a political figure that we thought was in, was in question for whatever it was, whether it was Gary Hart or whoever it was, right? And, and so I chose Nixon because there had been so much uh, that had happened in 73. I wasn't in high school then, but that was, a, that was a, a time that everyone could easily pinpoint. I thought it'd be an easy figure to write about. And so she pulled me up and had me stand in front of my class, my peers and face them and tell them why I thought Nixon was a political figure that was in question. And so I began, you know, pinpointing all the facts as I saw them. She had and told my classmates to write down everything that I'd been saying. She then told them that they were journalists now and they were going to be questioning me on every single point that I'd made. And it was my job now as Nixon to defend every single point. And so I stood there fielding all the snowballs that were being thrown at me, all the hard, all the hard pitches, I should say, and fielding it, defending my, my positions. My paper, that paper, whenever she taught us those, those lessons, learning to see the other side and to, because what you see depends on where you stand. When you're looking at the other side, it enriches your ability to stand behind your values, to stand behind, instead of just being one-sided and say, well, I believe this way because my parents did, or or I don't know, it just feels right. You, having the facts is the true essence of critical thinking because you can then move from logic before you strictly fly in with emotion. Right, no, it's it, it's it's powerful. And, and there's something about also stepping into somebody else's shoes in a way, right? Yeah, and coming yeah. from their perspective that gives you a whole turnaround view of everything. Because once you say it from another person's perspective, that also changes your-, your Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, if you have to speak someone else's voice, if you have to be them, yeah. it, it changes things for you, right? So I have a nephew 
I have yep. three nephews, and this is the eldest of all. I was gonna, I was gonna ask if we could. Yeah, I have an, an, a nephew who underwent a, an exercise in a counseling program, um, and I, he's, you know, I always give him kudos because you and I talk about all the time on our show about the value of working on self. This is an evolutionary process, and we will be working on ourselves, those of us who choose to evolve continuously from here till there. And so my nephew is a part of a program where the he was in one of the instructions he received was to make a list of the people with whom he was the most angry. Yeah. And he said that, you know, some of the people in the group were told, okay, you can stop writing now, but they, they're like, I'm just getting started. But he then they were told to take that list of candidates and reduce it down to the top two mm-hmm. who had earned the, the top one and two spots that merited your anger your ire, right? And so then then the lesson was to get out a piece of paper and write a letter to each person or each group or whatever, however it laid out, write a letter to this person explaining why they made the top one or two position, explaining it in all in the letter. And everyone did the exercise and it felt really cathartic. Everyone felt great about it. The last wasn't that that was not the end of the lesson. The exercise then called on them to respond to themselves as though they were the person who had received the letter of vitriol. So now they had to write back as the other person. And so my question was, when you were responding to yourself as person A, do you think you gave him or her the voice on how you heard them in your head or how you imagined he or she would really respond? He said the latter. I wrote as though I knew that's how this person would respond. And so when I said, what did you learn from that? He said, it allowed me to pull away and realize outside of my anger, I think this person's kind of messed up on my perspective, but I believe he or she is doing the best he or she can, even though it's not the best for me. And he said, said, you know what? It freed me. A little bit of that anger. I can you. I mean, I love this. Uh, it's a powerful exercise because after you told me about it, I did it with you know. I have somebody in my life that you know whatever, like we all do. Yep. And um, to be honest, I haven't written it down, but I imagined it. So I want. I need to write it down because it's far more yep. powerful that way. And I and I know that because I know that taking pen to paper. And when I say pen to paper, that's important. Like that energy that comes into a pen and writing on a piece of paper in a journal is different than typing it out on your computer, which is a lot easier and a ton quicker. That's right. Something about making that commitment to that. And it's just the imagination of, of doing it is obviously not as powerful, but even in the imagining, and our our guest today talks about the imagination being this the greatest one of the greatest really powerful. Skills. Our imagination is very very powerful to the brain, but even in my imaginings of this person and me writing back as that person to me, I realized, I realized that this person can only see from this perspective. It's like That's you right. said. You can only, you, you are only, how do you put it? What you see depends on where you stand. Where you stand. Yeah. And that is the key. And you have, and that's critical thinking. And once you have an understanding of somebody else's journey, it's that, it's that right. thing about having compassion. That's if right. you realize that everybody out there is, has their own issues and is suffering in some way. That's right. Then that makes you have a little bit more compassion. It's hard, you know, when somebody cuts you off, you know, you're driving, uh-huh. they cut you off and you're like, Ugh. but the truth is you don't even know if they were paying attention. Sometimes I see people that do that and so, and they didn't even know I was there, right? Yeah. So there's, you have to just go, wow, I guess, I guess God is protecting me because I not, I didn't get in an accident, but you know, I, everybody is dealing with something and everybody yeah. Hot in their head and that's what's great about our 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 guest today oh he's so good he really takes takes those thoughts that we repeat and and that are part of the past and or part of the future and 
turns them on its head and brings us back to the now. And the now is you're listening to Outcomes to Sun Radio. And the next, the future, you're going to have an amazing guest that we're going to be speaking to. So stay right where you are. You're listening to Outcomes to Sun Radio with Melissa Yamaguchi and Mariel Hemingway. I can buy myself flowers, write my name in the sand, talk to myself for hours. Welcome back, everybody, to Outcomes to Sun Radio. We have an incredible guest today. His name is Billy Mandar- Mandarino. Billy Mandarino has has written an incredible book called The Nowest. I'm super excited about this book because I spent so much of my young years reading The Power of Now and listening to it on tape. And he's come up with a book that is really teaching people how to become more aware of the gifts of being in the present moment from a a very practical and easy way. His hit book, The Nowist, is full of wisdom from his own journey. Billy dives deep into the essence of us all and breaks down present moment living in a very, very unique way. And now for the great and wonderful Billy Mandarino. Thank you so much, Meryl. That was so kind of you. I appreciate it. I'm really honored to be here on Outcomes the Sun. What an incredible radio show and podcast you both, you and Melissa have. Oh, well, we're loving it. We're definitely having a good time. So t- tell us what the, I mean, I know I really, I I, I was joking. I you, yeah, literally, like that was a thing for me being present. I, I used to have a yoga studio. So I, um, I taught yoga workshops and they, I always had something about, you know, be here now, you know, which was, uh, who was that with that way? Sorry. You know, but it was all, you know, being present is such a, is such an important thing. It's a simple thing, but it's so hard for most of us to do. So tell us really what is nowist? Well, you hit it, Mariel. The, the reality is anytime we're in a conversation with somebody, just, just like right now in this con in this radio show podcast, 50% of our awareness is not spent where our feet are. 50% of the time when you're in a meeting, you're with your kids, with your family, your spouse, your significant other. Wherever you are, 50% of the time, your awareness is not where you are, where your physical feet are. So this study, I think it was a Harvard study that came out, proved that, good Lord, half of the time we are living out of present moment awareness. And in my life, I think all of us can agree that stress has been a big player in all of our lives and how to deal with stress, how to overcome stress, how to uh, deal with the trauma of our past by spending so much energy on how to fix that trauma. But your awareness is never really in the present moment. You're in the past, you're in the future. I mean, it's happening. It's been over the mindfulness, breathing. There's so many different ways to be in the present moment. But for me, this book came through me, if you will, because I was dealing with all kinds of trauma, childhood trauma, emotional trauma. I was paralyzed a few years ago from COVID. I had to learn to walk again, how to learn to talk again, spent 21 days in the hospital. So I had to use these things that I've been diving into for the last probably decade of my life, like an obsession. It's, It's not like a teaching. For me, it's like an obsession to help people learn how to live in the present moment as a way of life. Not as a catchphrase or a cute, cool word like nowist. It's more of a practical process of how to learn to get out of your mind, out of your thinking mind, make sure your awareness is where your feet are and to live in present moment awareness as a way of life. My mission is to create this legion of nowists, people that learn to live in the present moment as a way of life and how to live 90% of your day, your 24 hours in the day, I mean, eight of it is sleeping, but to live in that present moment awareness as a way of life. 10% of the day, you're going to have bills to pay, appointments to take care of, uh, you know, to-do lists. But if you can live in that ratio, the craziest thing happens. This osmosis of living in present moment awareness, it takes over and your subconscious programming starts to run your life opposed to your conscious mind is trying to live in physical time, but learn how to get out of present moment. You're constantly convincing yourself that this is, there's no power here. But the reality is that's the lie. All the power to change your life is in the present moment. Well, I I totally agree. I I would I would I would just say something slightly different about I don't think it's the this I think that it's not conscious 
uh, thoughts that are running your life. I think it's unconscious thoughts. Like subconscious. Well, subconscious is different. Subconscious is where you are. The subconscious is is alive and aware of many different things. The unconscious is when you don't realize that you've repeated 85,000 thoughts today and tomorrow and the next day. So I love, what I love about your book is that it it makes it, a, it's a simple practice really. And yet it's a profound practice because to actually be in the present moment would change everybody's life. And I'm sure it changed yours. I'm sure it's how you healed. It truly was. I, you know, real quick, I was, uh, it was New Year's Eve, 2019. My wife turned 50 and we were in lockdown here. Um, and we couldn't have any parties and my wife turned 50 and I wanted to have a, a party for her, a big party. She loves the party. So Miami was wide open. So we fly to Miami, we go to the Fontainebleau, have this beautiful time. We fly back three days later, we both come down with COVID, the alpha strain, the, the virulent, really dangerous strain, the very first time that this hit, hit the world. Then my daughter and I and daughter and my wife all live together with COVID here and they healed in a couple of days. I haven't had a flu or a cold in over a decade prior to this. But I was in this bed right here for 10 days with 102 fever, and I was starting to get pneumonia in my lungs. It was starting to become, you know, COVID lung, as they called it back then. And the doctor says, if he doesn't break his fever, we're going to take him in. And I know that it's the number three cause of death is, is hospitalization. I knew this because I've talked about it. Heart disease, cancer, number three is hospitalization. So I was fearful of that, knowing that, oh, my gosh, this thing is taking over my body. So ultimately, all my family, I didn't tell anybody because my dad had open heart surgery. All my brothers and sisters, we're this big Italian family. Everyone started praying for me, and I broke the fever on the 11th day, stayed here for 12 days, quarantine, got better, and I love to golf. So I decided I feel great, like I do now, talking to both of you. I went out, played 10 holes, carrying my bag. I was fine. The next morning, I wake up. I can't feel my face, my hands, my feet, my stomach. Two days later, I was paralyzed. So my wife and daughter carry me down the stairs, get me in the car, send me and the worst goodbye I've ever had in my life in a wheelchair to the ER at the cottage. And they, after four and a half hours of being in an MRI tube and a spinal tap, they decided that what I had was Guillain-Barre syndrome from COVID. So I was the only case in Southern Santa Barbara County, 40, 460,000 people that had Guillain-Barre syndrome from COVID. So I was completely in this state of overwhelm, paralysis, but what I relied on was 50% of the wonderful doctors, the internal medicine doctors that gave me this IVIG, which physically helped heal my body. But the other 50% was my subjective attention, the power of my awareness, the power of my imagination, where I allowed myself to go through what it felt like to be completely healed, to live in that end instead of about the end, I was already there. And 21 days later, I walked out of the rehab with a cane. Two weeks after that, I was golfing again. So wow. I applied all of this in this, this incredible, what I call my spiritual, it was a spiritual practice. It wasn't some terrible ailment or this thing that befell, that, that fell on me that was going to ruin my life. It became a spiritual practice. I felt like I was this, I call it my COVID cocoon. I was like this monarch butterfly going through this rigamortis, yeah. only yeah. elevate to this higher self. And it was a gift. It was a truly a gift. Do you have some practice? Do you have some things that you that you do every day to get you in that in, into that state that you could share with people? I do. I've created a meditation called the Nowest Meditation. It takes one minute, and I do it every morning. I do it throughout the day. If I'm feeling overwhelmed or stressed, I do this one minute meditation. And it's I'm going to give you the four prayers. It's a little more complex. If you go to billymadrino.com, you look at my YouTube channel, we got 560 free videos of teaching on there, Instagram, Facebook, I'm all over those. But I teach it in depth in these videos that are free. Or you come to my live events, you can do it in person for two days with the Nowest Experience Live, which is a full other full immersive experience. But the prayer is a one minute prayer. So while I was in that MRI tube, I'm claustrophobic. And being in MRI tube for four and a half hours, the really tight one, you're not the big one, the one where exactly, and I couldn't feel anything initially. I couldn't feel anything. I really could barely move. And I never opened my eyes for four and a half hours. They couldn't knock me out. I said, knock me out. I'm totally claustrophobic. Just knock me out. I says, well, I call him Daniel the torturer. He was my, my <laughs> MRI tech. And he was, he was so, he's, I'm a Reiki master. I'm going to be sending you energy. It's going to get the magnet. And I'm thinking, okay, man, Daniel, kick it in. Cause I'm freaking out. And I didn't want to push the red button because I was so 
immersed in this experience, I thought, okay, what I'm going to do is use my imagination, which I believe is one of the most incredible gifts we've ever been given, along with my breath and this meditation. Four and a half hours, it was a mantra or a mudra or a constant chant. I was singing, I was chanting. He said I had to stop because my diaphragm was moving and the images were getting all blurry, but I was trying to survive. And I used this meditation and how it starts is you hover above the earth. You imagine yourself, you're three miles above the earth and you see that blue arc of the earth. You're up there. Imagine, Melissa and Meryl, if you were in that space, that ether, if you're above the earth, wouldn't you just be in absolute awe? Like you would be so, how could the gravity of your problems take you into that awareness? It would not, it would, you would be free. So in this cocoon, this cove cocoon I was in, being up there, I felt free. So I let my imagination just take me on this out of body journey, if you will. And so I was saying these four prayers. I am that I am the conquering presence in the now. I have nothing to do, only to be done. I am altogether God and God is altogether me. I am the light of the world. And saying these prayers, and, and when I say I am the light of the world, I imagine the sun is cresting the, the earth and it's hitting my body and it's filling me full of conscious light energy. And I'm sending that energy like a conduit, if you will, from three miles up to me in the MRI tube. And I kept filling myself with light and with consciousness and higher levels of energy, not fear-based energy, not thinking thought-based right. energy, but higher self energy. That conduit connected, tethered me to the higher self. And so I did that for four and a half hours. And that is what helped me heal, along with hundreds of people in the city praying for me. My room looked like a floral shop. Uh, my buddy, who's a great writer, he wrote an article about it while I was in the hospital. It was on the cover of the Montecito Journal. So all these people that know me in, in this city were praying for me. So I know it's 50% cottage. I love the doctors there. That is, we're so lucky to have cottage hospital in this community. Yeah. The other 50% was this subconscious collective energy, this conscious collected energy that wow. healed me. That is, oh man. You know what I like about that? You were an active participant. Yeah. And that's what I always like. I like when people actively participate in their own lives. And even in a moment of crisis, I mean, I'm claustrophobic too. And I was really, I was looking for a panic button near my, near my microphone because I was feeling it while you were in it. But one of the things that I, that I started thinking about, I love this meditation. I love it because it's, it's tangible almost. It's easy, easy to translate. I have a question for you. In that league of nowest that you're building, what do we tell the moms and dads and people, everyone, actually it's every living being right now who are addicted to their phones? Because what we do, what we find, right, Billy, that people grab the phone before they get out of bed, before they say their morning mantra of gratitude for being able to open their eyes, before they recognize whether or not it's sunning or raining, or whatever it is, they grab the phone. And the dopamine hits that we get from the constant stimulation we, my, my fear, and, I, and I'm, I'm not fear-based, I'm actually pretty brazen, if you will, but I get fearful thinking, how are we going to learn how to slow it down? I love the concept of now, because now is really, it's all you have. It's all you have. And you'll never be as young as you are now, or as beautiful, everything, right? Everything's great. So you're, here you are. What do you tell those that are, we, how do we break from technology to survive now to be now i love that question because it's i get it a ton and i unfortunately have the same answer because for me it's the truth and it's what comes it comes through for me i love poetry and i love william wordsworth he says not choice but habit rules the unreflecting herd not choice but habit rules the unreflecting herd yeah. so if we are ruled by our habits not our choice we grab our phone when we wake up we watch the news when we wake up we have these terrible habits. If you don't interrupt these habits, you don't start a new subconscious way of living every day, repetitious. If repetition is the mother of skill, right? The more you consistently do it, it becomes part of that 95% that controls your subconscious awareness. So if you can interrupt your habit and make a new choice, because not choice, it's your habit. People aren't making choices. They're caught up in their right. habit. You yeah. have to, that's why the now, what I start my day every, every day with in the same bed that paralyzed me or I recovered from, <laughs> I start with gratitude right here. The left hand's covering the heart because the Venus Amoris vein, which goes right to your heart where your wedding ring is on, it's right there. Then my right hand is covering it. I breathe into my heart gratitude every morning. After I've done my gratitude prayer, I get up, I go to the slider, I look at the ocean, I do the Nowest meditation, which also has a great arm movement and a breath. 
there's a, that's why it's a little more complex than just teaching a one minute meditation on your wonderful show out comes the sun i love that title because that's the last part of the prayer i am the light of the world you imagine the sun is coming over you so if you can do this convergent meditation which is an open-eyed meditation or divergent meditation is yeah. out and there's in if you can learn to do it with your eyes open and your eyes closed that becomes a regular prayer that you do while you're driving if you're conscious you do it while you're walking on the beach while you're walking your dog while you're doing the dishes while you're cooking breakfast becomes a new habit just like words were said we yeah. have we have a new choice to interrupt the people that are addicted to their phone you have to make a conscious choice to start a new habit to sub consciously program that 95% that we're doing all, every day. Yeah, well, you have to do a pattern interrupt and that's what you've created. It's amazing. Well, what would you say are the seven habits that you use every day? You have, uh, they're in your book, but I would- That's like right, the seven habits. Okay, well, I have nine actually. Okay. But I'll break that's it down to five. I'll break it down to my favorite five. Okay. And the, there's the nine in the book, there's five, but there's this five that's, it's, it's my newest favorite framework. It's called emergence trauma. Because I don't know about you, when we came out of the pandemic, there was this extreme trauma. My daughter is 16. She arguably went through the hardest two years of her life coming through the pandemic. My wife's a high school teacher. So Zoom from home, right? Social media, you, you're yeah. locked down. You, I mean, that's a developmental part of this young brain. And emotionally, right, we already know that anxiety is at an all-time high. Mm -hmm. I've read that uh, teen suicide has gone up 350% post-COVID. So I speak to schools. I speak to middle schools. I've been doing this for a decade where I help them deal with their over overwhelming anxiety and stress, how to get in the present moment. I get like an hour to work with these classes. I've been doing it. My wife's a high school teacher. I love teaching the youth. But my daughter being 16 and going through this, I think about the emergence that they've come through and the trauma that they really haven't emerged from. That's why I call it emergence right. trauma. And my good friend, Michael Bowker, who wrote that Montecito Journal article, and we're working on a, another project now, but he and I worked on this framework thinking, how can we help the youth, specifically the youth, get through this? And emergence trauma, we, we worked out this framework, which we did an event last uh, May at the Hilton here. It was the Nowest Experience Lab, and we introduced this framework there. So step one is you have to identify the trauma. Identify your trauma. What is your trauma? Step two is if you have identified the trauma, what would your life look like if it was different? Like, what is your trauma look like? And how you have to use your imagination once again, the greatest gift you've ever been given. What is your, your emergent self look like? Then who are the people in your circle that can help support you in that emergence? Like, who are your friends? Who are your family? Who are your best friends? It could be your dog. We have a beautiful dog that's been, was never a therapy dog, but for our daughter, that she's an only child. That dog has been, a, it's kind of been, it's new moniker is therapy dog because it's done its service hours with my daughter the last two years dealing with this. So who are the people or the friends or the entities, the beings around you? Sometimes it could be a being that's passed away. I mean, I, some people connect with our loved ones that have passed. Yeah. Who are the beings that can support you in this emergence? And then how do you think from the end of that emergence, not about the end? You've, I don't know if you've heard that before. There's a wonderful teacher named Neville Goddard. And I learned that from Neville Goddard via Dr. Wayne Dyer that you learn to think from the end, not about the end. From the end, gosh, when I get through all this, I'll be happy. When I finally get to this immersion, I've done 10,000 hours of therapy, I'm going to emerge. But from the end is every day, every morning you wake up, every night before you go to bed, you're in that end. I'm already emerged through. I see the new shiny self that is me. I see the end. I'm already healed. I'm already done. I'm already serving people from that light that I am. So that's step four. And then, then at the end, you just want to pay it forward. Step five is pay it forward. How can you take your trauma your spiritual, your spiritual practice that's become your trauma and then help somebody else. Love it. It's so it. good. Go ahead, Melissa. No, Sorry. I want to create, I, I, I hope that the nowest um, accept the challenge. And those are the, those, those are of us that are wasest and going to be it's can come into uh -huh. the now and really uh -huh. take this as a challenge. I want to, you know, I, I have friends who have a, a basket that everyone has to put their cell phone in when they come into the house and kind of give themselves a break so they can reconnect as family or in business meetings, you'll hear people leaving cell phones outside, not just for the succession rule, but to keep the phone so they can be present in the meetings instead of constantly looking to see what's happening on social media or their email. And I, so I think this is a really beautiful challenge. It's as, it's as important as, as, as important as taking the motion of t watching over your health. It it's, it's every bit as important, removing your, the, 
what's the word I'm looking for? The extraneous, the extraneous stuff. Oh, the distractions. Because you know what? You can't get ahead of them. You're not going to overcome the distractions if by the way they creep in. So you've got to learn how to pull in and get strong within. And I love this. I love your whole approach. Thank I am now a part of your league. Hey, hey, man, it's a mission. It's a mission. It's it's a ministry. It's not so much, uh, you know, when I get this number, we've reached when I've reached the critical mass of pi, right? 3.1, whatever that number is. <laughs> But I do know that Dr. Wayne Dyer, God rest Dr. Wayne Dyer's soul, he is in my book. He was the, the initial spark that allowed me to bring this book into the physical world. It was Dr. Wayne Dyer. I love him. Never met him, but I studied his works uh, like a master's degree. And, you know, he wrote this book, uh, this film and book called The Shift. I don't know if you both have seen it, The Shift. Yes. He said, if 10,000 people in North America can watch this movie, we could create this shift of consciousness. So similarly, I'm trying to pick up that mantle. So I think maybe a few million people have seen that movie, but it's a wonderful film teaching, teaching so much of what his whole life mission was about uh, yeah, power of intention. I, I recognize a lot of Wayne. I actually was fortunate enough to, I used to work for Spiritual Cinema Circle, which was part of Gaim years wow. ago. Anyway, and I got to interview him and he was very- Oh my gosh. So he was just- us like he was so normal and yet extraordinary at the same time and you know what what i love about what you're doing it's so normal and it's extraordinary at the same time right you're you're i think it's wonderful that you've been guided and kind of propelled by the the desire to help your teenage daughter because i I mean melissa and i are just like our focus we have a, a we have a foundation that we started called the Mariel Hemingway Foundation.org so that we, we want to become a resource navigator. But because people don't know what to, don't know the practical things to do, nobody knows where to go, nobody knows what to do. And what you're providing is, is very tangible. And thank you for that. Because, you know, sometimes you'll get on, you'll listen to these great minds, but it seems like, oh my God, you know, where are they? And I, I can't do that. It's like, they're not speaking my language. You're speaking the language of all of us as parents, as people in the workplace, as, you know, like as friends, as, as coworkers, whatever. You're just speaking a language that we can all understand because it is possible for all of us to be present. And it's not a woo-woo thing. It's actually the healthiest place you can live. You're not thinking about tomorrow and Nothing about your past matters here in this moment. And it's not going to get you now because there's no problem right now, right? Absolutely. And you know that better than <laughs> most everybody. Let's right? talk about the six degrees of separation. My husband's name is Billy. And <laughs> my Billy is a hairstylist who cut the hair of Wayne Dyer's daughter in Hawaii. Okay. There we go. I think we have a movie. I feel oh, my gosh. On. That's how we get it out there. It's the in Santa Barbara, you've realized it's the one degree of separation, right? So there, there it is, the one oh, degree. Yeah. <laughs> it's right Honestly, here. If you're in Santa Barbara, I, I really do feel like everybody's like uber connected because I live in Sun Valley, uh, part-time Sun Valley, Idaho, and, and then I'm in LA, but I feel like I should be in Santa Barbara when I'm not in Sun Valley because everybody in Sun Valley goes to Santa Barbara. Well, your heart of service and your soul, Mariel, is obviously part of, because as you, Sun Valley is spectacular. Montecito, Santa Barbara, the American Riviera, spectacular. I just, these energies and these areas that we live, they just do something. They, I always say Santa Barbara chooses you, you don't choose Santa Barbara, right? Sun Valley chooses you, you don't choose Sun Valley. It's yeah. just kind of allowing yourself to be taken Instead of being so clever, we're always trying yeah. to be so clever, right? And to figure it out, you have to allow, let go, let God, as they say in the recovery movement, right? Just right. let go. Right, right. And following that inner voice, which will guide you to exactly where you're supposed to be in the moment, in the right time. But you also mentioned something that's extremely important. We have to find what our trauma is first. And I always say, you got to tell your story first, then realize it's a bloody story. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like, it may not be bloody, but it could be. Right, <laughs> you know, like you just you just go, okay, that's my story. That happened. It's film on the floor. Now we get to be here and enjoy the and and you used it as a tool to heal. And and you sharing that, 
you know, and your exuberance in sharing it is so exciting and so cool because you can tell that you know that it works because oh. when you're at death's door and you're like, geez, I may not make it, you know, and you, and then you realize that it was, yes, you're thanking the cottage hospital. Yes, we have the most amazing uh, emergency care in this country of anywhere in the world, but ultimately our healing especially for things like what you went through and mental illnesses has a lot to do with our taking responsibility and changing the way that we think because how we're thinking is creating problems in the body. If you're not thinking, if you're thinking in the past or you're thinking in the future, you're worried about this, that, and the other thing, you're not going to heal. You're so, oh my God, you're so right on the money. And step one for any, any teachings I do coaching, when I do the live events, it's always step one is awareness, awareness. The minute you know you're in stress, that's the first step out of stress. Dr. Wayne Dyer, Neville Goddard, Eckhart Tolle, they all teach the same step one. Are you aware? Are you taking responsibility for your trauma, for what's happened? Being aware that you're out of in stress is your first step out of stress. But most people don't have that awareness because they don't have that new tool, that new habit, that new ritual to help them get into step one quickly. And for me, it's just, it's so uncomfortable to be out of the present moment that I just quickly become, you know, back in the present moment because it feels so uncomfortable because of a habit, because of a subconscious programming. That's the, the deep work is to get it into that subconscious mind get it so it just becomes like effortless like for me hitting a golf ball or hitting a tennis racket or baking bread or whatever is your crocheting whatever your thing is it's just subconscious make spiritual practices like being a Taoist part of that subconscious programming oh i love that i i love that because as you're talking i'm thinking i, I i'm i'm actually not thinking as much as i m- might normally but i'm i'm reminding myself just listen just listen right be present right be pre- exactly right? Don't like, huh? well, what am I going to say next? I need more help because I got lost on a baked bread. I haven't had bread in about three months. So I got lost <laughs> on baked bread. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Bread is my like kryptonite. I love it. <gasps> oh my oh, God. I, I, and my grandmother used to make the best homemade sourdough bread. And so you said baked bread and I immediately flew back. But I yeah, that's, that. that's okay. I did have a moment where I was not in the present. I was, my mother had baked bread too. I was like, hey, if it feels good, if it feels good, they say feeling good and feeling God is the same. So if it makes you good, happy. feeling feeling good is nothing wrong with that oh my gosh no there's nothing wrong with that billy mandrino you are mandrino i've got that correct mandarino Mandarino. it's a sing song (laughs) (laughs) you and your whole family is just it's like oh my gosh speaking of that we're going to uh corlean idaho thursday for a big italian family reunion. So we're getting so excited for that. So oh my gosh, I'm so excited for you. That's one of the more beautiful places in the world. It's not where I live, but it is Sun Valley's down South, right? You guys are South of that. Yes. Uh, Southeastern Idaho. Yeah. It's kind of right in the middle. The middle, you're going to go up to the panhandle. It's gorgeous. It's so beautiful. And this is like the most amazing year because there's been so much water. Oh, it's It's green. It's it's rushing water. Yeah. beautiful it's just beautiful you're you're a magical human we we are so excited to have had you on as a guest thank you billy please come back and talk to us i want to know the progress of being a nowist i want to be a nowist and i want to introduce him next time ladies and gentlemen coming up on outcomes of sun we have the magical mandarino people are going to be thinking that we're going to disappear or something (laughs) the great mandini yes You two are amazing. Thank you so much. What an honor to be on Outcomes. Thank you. You're You're both lights in the world. Thank you for letting me kind of slip in there with you and and shine a little brighter with you all three together. Oh my God. That's good. You're beautiful. This is great. Oh, amazing soul too. So God bless you. Thank you. God bless you both. I'm so glad you made it through all that. Hey, hey, I'm just so grateful. It's all gratitude, they say, is the best multiplier. I'm just more grateful every day. I bet. Awesome. Well, thank you, Billy. Thank you both. Match the roses that she laid. No remorse, no regret. Welcome back to Outcomes the Sun with Mariel Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi. Tis me. I'm here to share an energy tip with you. I would like to share with you the energy around babies in the house. When you bring a baby into your home, we often get ready for a baby. We have in, in our culture, in many cultures, we have baby showers where we are giving the parents to be 
little onesies and diapers and maybe crib bumpers or whatever it is or strollers whatever they've put on their list of wish of wishes but in feng shui and in the concept of energy the way you set up the baby's room the nursery or where the baby well you'll have the baby's things is very important so i'd like to go over some of those with you the first is the understanding of colors now for the first couple of months of baby's life he or she will only see in black and white so the need to go overboard on on a lot of different colors at first is really um it's not a futile attempt because you want the baby's room to be pleasing to mom or dad as they go in there and take care of child but the baby will only see in black and white so little mobi mobiles over the bed or little little drawings around with black and white design are really stimulating and good for baby's brain but colors as you do introduce them we are we are want oftentimes to have these beautiful pastels in the room for baby but we want to help stimulate baby's brain and so primary colors that once beyond the black and white primary colors are very good to use in feng shui now if you don't want to have the red the blue and the yellow in the baby's room then most certainly pick you could pick one of and it, but bringing in a primary color is really good good stimulation for baby the next thing to consider is the location of the room for baby and oftentimes we think well this is the best room for baby um, but is it is it the best most convenient room for baby when it comes to baby sleep or or mom or dad's time alone with baby when they're rocking baby to sleep and they're or they're going in there to be with baby when baby's not feeling well or whatever is that location away from all the noise in the house and away from maybe where the room that side of the house gets too hot if if that's the room you have then you must ensure that the room is protecting baby. The cocoon for the nursery room has to be energetically cocooning. It has to be that way. Sound and temperature and everything, it all has to be conducive to a healthy, continued growing space for baby. The next thing that I want you to take in um, consideration is natural light. Please have a room where natural light can come in for baby. It's so incredibly important. But again, if the baby's room, which is in this, this area that you've chosen of the house, does not have a, a window for some reason, then bring in lighting that you can purchase. The, the hardware stores have lighting now that can emulate the sun. It's not the exact same, obviously, but you would have this in the room. And they also have timers where the light will come up as though it's the sunrise as baby's awakening. Now, God knows that babies don't always follow the way an alarm set because they'll wake up when they want, but it's nice to have this in their room. Another thing to, that you need to take into consideration is to have low or no tech. You want the room to not have a lot of elect electrical things in it. There's so many gadgets now. I, I have a friend who whose daughter was is giving birth and she sent me a, a wish list that the daughter had put together for gifts. And a large chunk of them were technical and things to put in the baby's room to make life easier from even from a diaper genie to a sound sound white sound noise they're all this stuff now i just told you earlier that location is important and if it's a loud room and you think well i'm going to bring in some white noise that'll calm it down for baby sure but you need to minimize low or no tech when possible for baby please and then the very last thing i want to say is minimize what you have in the room if limiting clutter is important in feng shui which it is in baby's room keeping it minimal as it is a really great reminder that it's all about baby when people are going to be giving you gifts and clothes and things that are going to be coming in for baby and you may even buy a bunch of things for baby this is fine but keep things minimal in the room so that it's always zeroed in on focus on baby these are my feng shui tips for the day. I hope that you've been, been able to find one or two things that you can use. Now stick around. Coming up next, teaching you about health and balance is Mariel Hemingway. You're listening to Outcomes the Sun. Welcome back, everybody, to Outcomes the Sun Radio. And I'm going to give you a tip, a health tip a balance tip. And Melissa's talking about stimulating a, a baby, but also keeping it simple. I want to talk about stimulating our own brains. Like how do we stimulate our own brains? How do we keep 
a vibrant brain as we get older or whatever. I mean, maybe not even as we get older. These are habits that, that we should all be doing all the time anyway. Exercising regularly is incredibly good for your brain. Just every day, some form of exercise, whether it's walking, Melissa and I have the most amazing conversations on our morning walks and they're by, but they, and they're very stimulating for our brain because we come up with concepts. And I think that movement, because many of us don't realize that we learn through kinetic movement. We actually, our brains take in more information when we're moving. So those conversations are not futile. Um, sometimes you want a peaceful walk where you're being silent and you're just connecting in nature. And sometimes those stimulating conversations especially if you can do it in person, but even if you're doing it like we do on the phone, because we live, you know, fairly a distance apart, they're incredibly stimulating for the brain. The other big tip for our brain health is get plenty of sleep. And when I say get plenty of sleep, so here I met Bobby 15 or almost 15 years ago, and he slept so much. And I thought, what is wrong with him? What is he like a baby? Like what's wrong with him? He sleeps too much. Uh, I'm like, I meditate. I don't need to sleep. Well, wrong. (laughs) The more sleep you get, the more recovery for your body, but also for your brain, your brain needs to rest. And, you know, we live in a frantic, crazy, technical, technically challenging world, and our brain needs to take a break. So getting as much sleep as possible is really necessary. And I really mean that seven is minimum. Seven hours is minimum. The best is eight and a half to nine hours. That's what I get. I try to get eight and a half to nine hours. And when I do, I mean, the world is just like my oyster. Like all of a sudden I'm like, my my brain just feels better. My body feels better. I've recovered from a workout or whatever it is. But getting enough sleep is powerful medicine and throughout your life. So really work on that and, and remember all of our energy tips and Melissa's energy tips about keeping your room dark and what you want in there because making a, an environment for your sleep is really important. Eat a good diet. A Mediterranean diet is a really good diet to keep your brain vibrant because it's full of good fats. Good fats are good for your brain. Our brain actually runs on fat and I'm not talking about deep, deep fried food. I'm talking about- <laughs> I'm talking about avocados and olive oil and, you know, and nuts and, you know, I'm talking about good fat and good fat is good for you. Raw cream, you know, uh, raw butter uh, and some on another thing, I'll explain why raw is better than uh, pasteurized. Uh, So a good diet really helps your brain to stay in tune and stay mentally active. Having those conversations with Melissa in the morning, they're, they're, it's powerful medicine for me. Like it has made me much, much quicker in all my conversations. So the more you have mentally active conversations about things that you don't know about, or that you're curious about, it, it makes your brain, you make more brain cells, right? The, the dendrites grow when you do, when you do new things. So staying mentally active and trying new things, that's important too, for your brain. Try something new, like whether it's a physical thing or it's, you know, or it's some sort of puzzle that you like doing new things is great for your brain and remain socially involved. This is a hard one for me because I tend to be kind of socially I don't like to socialize very much. And I don't know what that is. That's probably some trauma of my own. Um, But when I stay more socially involved, I feel better about myself because I haven't isolated myself. So stay socially involved and keep your blood, blood vessels healthy. And the way that you do that, that's that, you know, your blood being healthy is through your exercise, through your food, through drinking water. Um, you know, it's, it's activity. That's how we keep our blood 
healthy and alive and, you know, and check your hormone levels and all of that stuff, because all of these, all these mechanisms work together to make your brain amazing. So that's my tip for the day. Uh, I am Mariel Hemingway. I'm here with Melissa Yamaguchi. And what, a, what an amazing show. That was fun. amazing. And I want you talked about sleep. I want to share with you. I recently taught a class where the audience, I was asking them, they were talking about sleep. And I, one of the gals raised her hand and said, well, I'm proud to say I only get about four and a half to five, five hours of sleep a night. And I said, you're proud to say that. And she said, oh yeah. I mean, look at me, I'm functioning. I'm getting stuff done. I don't need to sleep. I feel like, you know, I, I can sleep when I'm dead. And I said, well, that might be sooner than you think. You better slow it down. But it's fascinating that we have come. Well, I thought the same thing when I met Bobby. I was really? like, I meditate. I'm good. Meanwhile, I was, I was running on adrenaline. So yeah, I yeah. Renal fatigue, and I didn't even know it. I was like drinking coffee all the time, you know. Like I was, and by the yeah. way, I'm drinking coffee. This is green tea. Um, <laughs> it's just, just so you know, I mean, not that I don't drink coffee. I drink that in the morning, but yeah, it's it's we we justify these things because they're not we're not doing them properly, right? We haven't gotten the right environment. Sometimes right. only sleeping four and a half, five, six hours because we have not created that optimum environment, right? But we also, we're also learning that the early bird catches the worm and you got to get ahead of everybody and you got to go, you got to go, you got to go. And if you're sleeping, then you're not going, right? Yeah. So there's a, yeah. there's a fear, it's fear-based. It's yeah. fear-based, I can't it's sleep. Based. It's very American, you know, Puritan, puritanical ethic where, you know, we work hard and all we do is work. And yet you go to Europe, they're very, they're as productive as we are. They're getting things done and they take a nap in the afternoon and they're very much more relaxed about their time. They take time off. Fiesta. I know, I know. And, and they have like, you know, they take their vacations are paid. Hello. What's One month, you get a month vacation. What? I don't I, know, but if we had a month, we'd be going I to. That. New Guinea and every, yeah, we'd be going. Listen, this has been a fantastic show. Thank you to Billy Mandarino. Thank you to you, Mariel. This is, it's always such a great show. It's always such a great show. Thank you to our amazing executive producer, Jeremiah Higgins, and our technical producer, Slater Smith, and Dr. D, who is, who is with us most days, and everybody out there that is helping this show uh, be something great. We are grateful to you. And also check out the Mariel Hemingway Foundation.org. That is a resource navigator. We hope to become, with your help, uh, a place where people can go to find out solutions for mental health problems, no matter where you are, at least in this country to start, but hopefully around the world. So become a, a become active in our in our mission to help people to become better, healthier and happier in their mind. Thank you so much and we'll see you soon. Outcomes the Sun has been a production of Evolve Entertainment. Hosts Mariel Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi, executive producer Jeremiah Higgins, and sound engineer and producer Richard Dr. D. Dugan. Thank you for listening.